Hey, welcome everybody. My name is Orgyen and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater and you're all very welcome to the Scottsdale Big Book Study where we will study the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Today is Saturday the 24th of December 2022 and we will, um, yeah, we will have a meeting where Harlan G who will kick us off. Um, if anybody has any questions during the meeting, they can contact myself, Maria F. Uh, Nancy J or Sue L, um, and you can message them through the chat function. Please note that the speaker Harlan G will be recorded for the duration of the study. However, the questions and answer session, which follows, will not be recorded. We will post um, the previous week's recording in the chat function. We ask if you can please make sure to keep your microphone on mute at all times during the I'm, session. I'm at Harlan's meeting. What time do you want me to? Somebody's unmuted, that's for sure. Was. And if you can turn off your video, if you're. We so can't hear you. You might need to mute you, unmute yourself. Something's happened with our. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Harlan, I'll turn it over to you. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. I am so glad to be here this morning. Um, eat your hearts out. It's going to be 74 here tomorrow in Scottsdale, mid 60s, high 60s today. So what can I tell you? In June, July and August, you got the upper hand, but not now. Anyway, Merry Christmas to everybody. I know that for many, Christmas Eve is either as big or bigger than the actual day of Christmas. And I hope that Santa Claus comes and drops you everything you need uh, for, for a, a Merry Christmas. And uh, if you're celebrating Hanukkah or your my holiday is Festivus, which was yesterday, I celebrate Festivus for the rest of us. And we sit around and we tell people how they've disappointed us over the last year. And then we dance around an aluminum pole. So that is my holiday is Festivus. And I've been celebrating Festivus now for about uh, 15, 20 years, something like that or more since it came since it came out on Seinfeld. So that's my holiday. And I was very honored to celebrate Festivus with friends yesterday. And we told each other how much we were disappointed in them over the last year. So that was good. And then we had the feats of strength that were started by our forefather, Frank Costanza. So we had lots and lots of stuff that we did and we engaged in. It was, it was quite the celebration. Anyway, I'm very, very glad to be here today. And what we're going to be talking about today is we're going to be in the blood and guts of step four in the resentment section of step four. And I believe, this is my opinion, the two most underutilized steps are two and ten but the two most misconstrued, the most misunderstood steps are three and four. So what, we're, what I'm gonna try to do this morning is to further reveal some truths about step four and to try to throw mud on some of the misconceptions of step four. And what we're gonna do is, we're eventually going to start on page 66, where it says it is plain that a life which includes deep resentment. And that's where we're going to be starting page 66. It is plain that a life which includes deep resentment. Okay, but before we get up to this, remember that we have been talking about resentments. There's three sections to the fourth step. There is the resentment section, there's the fear section, and there's also the sexual harms done others. And so we want to get done with the fourth step as quickly as we possibly can so that we can move forward in our program of recovery and get to a place where a spiritual awakening has been affected. And so by, by doing that, we get to page 89 eventually where it says, nothing ensures immunity from alcohol like intensive work with other alcoholics. So one of the big goals here is to get you sponsoring as quickly as we can. And the longer we take to get to that point, the more chance we have of 
failure of, of not getting there, because how long can you possibly hold your breath underwater? Well, the answer is not that long. And a shorter time of holding your breath is always better than a longer time of holding your breath. But what we're going to do now is we're going to look at step four. Let's take a look at page 66. And we have been talking about resentments. Re means to do again. Sentment comes from an old, old word, sentiri, which means to feel. So to resent means to re-feel old hurts. And we've established that you cannot eat on the truth. But if you are lying to yourself, that makes it much, much easier for you to eat. Now, what is the lie we tell ourselves in any resentment? Now, I'm going to make a statement that if you've never heard me say this before, is probably going to take you aback because your first reaction to this statement that I'm about to make is going to be, oh, no, you don't understand. I'm different. I get that your, your brain is telling you that. But any resentment that you have is a lie. Now, I'm not saying if you were raped or you were abandoned or you were beaten or tortured or whatever, I'm not saying that those are okay things to, no, I'm not saying that. But in the normal resentment that you have, it's a lie. Now, how does it become a lie? Did the person hurt you? Well, clearly they did. Yes, they did. But what we do is we replay these resentments in our head so many times that every time you replay this resentment in your mind, you change it just a little bit and you make their part in this resentment just a little bit more dastardly and your part in this resentment just a little more innocent and you replay that resentment in your mind enough times, you were in your mind standing there doing nothing and they came along and did you dirt. And the other thing is that looks very natural. It is absolutely natural for you to believe that because you convinced yourself of this over such a period of time and you have other people and you know who just who to go to to corroborate this. Yes, she is a witch. Yes, he is a bee, a, bee, a bee. Yes, he is this. Yes, she is that. Yes, they are this. So you have proof that in your mind you are 100% correct and the other person or the other entity was completely in the wrong. And what we're apt to do is we love these resentments. And why do we love these resentments? What's the payoff to a good resentment? Well, the payoff to a really good resentment is this. As long as I'm replaying this resentment, I do not have to look at myself. I don't have to look at myself as a reprieve from improving myself. Because if I look at myself, I have more than enough work to do on me so that I do not have a lot of time to sit and psychoanalyze you and to tear you down in my mind and to take your inventory in my mind. So as long as I can look at you and not look at me, that becomes rather recreational and it assuages the ego because the ego says three things to us constantly. We, we have to be right we have to feel good right now, and we are different from other people. Those are the three main jobs of the human ego. Let's do those again. I'm right. I got to be right. You know, I, I, we would say to our daughter, would you rather be happy or would you rather be right? And she'd get this look on her face like we knew what she was thinking. I'll be happy when I can prove that I'm right. Well, we are the same way. We don't, you don't have to be seven or eight to know that that's, you know, that's the way we are as people. I'm right and you're wrong. I told you so, blah, blah, blah. I told you so. So the bottom line is we really use that as almost like a drug. It's really like a drug. You know, we're right in it. It can be very intoxicating, you know, make me right, make me feel good right now. I got to feel good right now. So that's why 
you it, you can justify, well, I'm just going to have Twinkies now. I'm going to have whatever. I'm going to have Chips Ahoy or whatever it is. I got to feel good right now and make me different from everybody else. You know, I'm different. You know, Clancy Immeslin, who's one of my heroes, Clancy Immeslin's podcast, he talks about this a lot. He says, every alcoholic that goes to God drunk who had been in AA for any length of time will say to God, why didn't you help me with my alcoholism? And the God will say to the drunk, I sent you to meetings. I got you a sponsor. You had AA. You could have leaned into that sobriety, but no, you had a drink. And so the drunk will say to God, but you don't understand God my case is different. And how many of us really saw ourselves as just members of the society, bozos on the bus? You know, how many of us can really see ourselves in that light? We so often see ourselves as being better than other people or not as good as other people, but seldom do we look at them and we are looking right at them. And I call steps five and nine, the great emancipators, because in steps five and nine, you are drawn to seeing yourself as just another person. And when I say just another person or another bozo on the bus, Somewhere in our minds, we say to ourselves, yeah, but I don't want to be a bozo. Bozos are bad. No, they're not. Bozos are great. If you grew up in Chicago like I did, you ran home at noon and you turned on Channel 9 and you watched Bozo Circus until it was time to go back to school. Now kids in the Chicago public school system can't do that. A, Bozo's not on the air. And B, you can't leave the school. But we could leave the school at lunchtime and we could go home for lunch or whatever we could do. But the minute I got in that door, my mom handed me my lunch and I ran in that living room and I put on Bozo Circus and Ringmaster Ned and the big top Bob Trendler and his band, they'd blow the whistle Bozo, and he'd say, Bozo Circus is on the air. And I was very excited. And one day, not one day, but I sent away for a decoder ring for the Dick Tracy show, which was on in the afternoon. And I got an envelope and it was from WGN at 2501 West Bradley Place, Chicago 60625. And I was as excited as I've ever been in my entire life. I got something from WGN and it was my official Dick Tracy decoder ring because at the end, they would have a little coded message like listen to your parents or do your homework or go to church or do whatever, you know, whatever. But that was pretty exciting for a kid on Albany Street in Chicago. I'm sure it was okay if you lived in South Shore too. So I know we're two Chicagoans on here for sure. Okay. Now, moving forward, we have that. And <clears throat> So we have these resentments. Now let's go to page 66. And we're going to not just talk about the rewards of resentment, but we're going to talk about the concept of a life unlived. And what we have in this disease is a life that largely goes unlived. Let's take a look at page 66 in the big book of AA. It is plain that a life which includes deep resentment leads only to futility and unhappiness. Now, let's take a look at that sentence because it's worth looking at. And I want to talk to you for just a minute about somebody that I knew very, very well. He was my dad. And my dad came out of Europe at 14 years of age, and he was the sole survivor of the mass murder that occurred in Russia in April, or excuse me, late March of 1914, when his parents, his sisters and brothers, nieces and nephews from ages six weeks to 14 or 15 years of age were obliterated off the face of the earth for no reason that anybody could ever come up with. And he raged his entire life. And my father was a good man. People liked him, but he had a life very unlived. And the reason that it was unlived is he was very stuck 
in the hatred that he felt for the kinds of people that would do such a deplorable thing. Now, is he responsible for that murder? No, but he felt extremely guilty that he survived and they did not. They were obliterated off the face of the earth for no reason other than they celebrated Sabbath on Friday night, Saturday, rather than on Sunday. And for that, they got a death sentence. But he got a death sentence too. And the reason that I'm saying that he got a death sentence too is because during the course of his life, he never understood or had a vehicle with which to purge this out of his mind, to purge this out of his psyche, and to live an emancipated life. He could not let this go. I don't know if he would let it go. I know he did not let it go. And every day of his life, while I knew him, which was the 20 eight years or so that we lived together on earth until he passed away in 1978. And I knew that he was afraid and he was angry and he was, he was very bitter about everything like that. And his life went largely unlived. Now it's easy to see that in this little scenario that I've painted about my dad with such a horrific nightmarish unbelievable genocidal kind of thing in his background. Well, of course he was mad. Most people would be mad. But let's take a look at something. How many of us today in 2022, with what we know and what we've been exposed to in this program, are carrying around righteous indignation we're carrying around resentments against people that harmed us. We're carrying around grudges that are killing us. We're carrying around rocks in the water while we're drowning. We're grabbing onto slabs of cement instead of life preservers, which could get us to safety. So how many of us today are doing that same thing that my dad did. And in his life, he never could emancipate or extricate himself. Extricate would be a better word than emancipate. He could never extricate himself from the short tether of this horrible, horrible resentment. And it was a life mostly unlived. So let's take a look at what it says, futility, and unhappiness. Nobody that I've ever known was a happy, recovering person that was loaded with resentment. I'm going to say that again. Nobody that I've ever known has been a happy person who was bogged down with resentments and, and the, these grudges, these angers, whatever you want to call it, they're all synonyms for the same thing. So who among us wants to be unhappy? And what happens when we're that unhappy? We get the efforts. We get the efforts and we wave our hand and say, screw recovery. I'm going to eat whatever. I'm going to do whatever. I'm going to go to Carl's Red Hots, not on Christmas because they're closed. I'm going to go to Carl's Red Hots in South Shore in Chicago. And I'm going to get the greasy fries in the bag and the hot dogs and all the other the tamales and all the crap that they sell there. So who among us is going to be productive if we are going to carry these grudges, yet we do it anyway, because what does the ego tell us? We are different. You don't understand. He's terrible. She's terrible. They are terrible. It's terrible. I'm right and they're wrong and I'm not going to give up my position. Like we used to tell my daughter, you can either be happy or you can be right. Well, here is the bottom line. I cannot be in recovery while I am resenting like that. I'm going to say that again. I am not, I cannot be in recovery while I am resenting like that because God can't get in there. It's too, my brain, my heart, 
my soul. I'm going to teach you a Yiddish word, my neshuma. What's a neshuma? Your neshuma is your spirit. It's your holiness, your neshuma. While I'm loaded with such garbage, God can't get in there. I need to make room for God. I need to make room for the, for the sunlight of the spirit while it's black and ominous because I hate the Democrats and I hate the Republicans and I hate the White Sox and I hate their fans and I hate the Cardinals and I all this hate that I'm using ridiculous examples, of course. I'm not talking about hating a sports team, but I'm using it just as an example. To hate like that becomes a part of us. And we, we propagate these resentments. We water them as we would a plant. We nurture them as we would a child. And we carry them with us no matter where we go. And we display them very proudly. I hate him. I hate her. And we display them for anyone's perusal that will look at them. And we're killing ourselves. The best revenge is living well. The best revenge is a life lived on a spiritual basis. I don't have to carry this around. Somebody told me many, many years ago, I'm here 43, almost 44 years, that I never, they use this now. I didn't know how heavy my suitcase was until I let the porter carry it. Then I realized, wow, that thing is really heavy. Holy mackerel. And when I let go of so many of these resentments, when I let go of these things, I'm free. My spirit is free. Not that I have a perfect life and everything goes my way. Let's temper our expectations. Just because you're willing to let go of some resentments, does not, there's nothing in this book that says, now everybody will stick to your script. There's nothing in this book that says, you will never be challenged by life again. There's nothing in this book that says that. So one of the things I want to talk about this morning morning, and I'm going to talk about it until we're done with step four, is what are your expectations? Just because you've done step four, there's nothing here that says now my dream girl or my dream guy is going to fall in love with me and we're going to have 3.2 kids and we're going to live in Highland Park or we're going to live in Deerfield in a in a house with a white picket fence. And there's nothing in here that says that. What it says, though, is if you let go of these resentments, you've taken a quantum leap toward your recovery. Doesn't say those exact words, but it says you can now know you're on the way to recovery. Every day that I get up, there's two doors in front of me, figuratively. There's Carol Merrill standing there, to be sure. And Carol Merrill is standing in front of door number one. And door number, Carol Merrill was from Let's Make a Deal. Nobody gets these references. I must be too old. Carol Merrill, Let's Make a Deal with, what's his name? Monty, Monty Hall, Monty Hall, he's dead. Monty Hall, Let's Make a Deal. Okay, now Carol Merrill is standing in front of door number one. And door number one leads right to Twinkieville. And there's a stop in Dorito Town. And there's a stop in Milk Dud Way. And there's all Charleston Chew Town. All these other various places behind door number one. Now, door number two has recovery. And it has a spiritual awakening. And it has freedom from the bondage of self. And it has prayer and meditation and service to others. I can choose whichever door I want. Now on one door, I'm going to have to pay a price. And the price that I'm going to have to pay is I can eat whatever I want in Doritoville or in Charleston Chew Town or in Almond Joy Way. That's a, that's a very nice place to live. But I'm going to have to put up with, I can't walk out of the house because I'm an object of ridicule. I can't go to the doctor because he's going to tell me that I'm dying unless I change. 
But if I go to door, so th that's pretty effortless. We all know how to do that, right? Anybody need help eating Almond Joy bars? Call me. I'll I'll tell you how to eat them. I used to just pop them like they were like they were whatever Xanax or something. But I used to pop those Almond Joy babies like they were crazy. But if I'm going to spend a dime now, when I was a kid, all the candy bars were a nickel. But Almond Joy and Mounds and Heath bars were 10 cents. If I'm going to spend 10 cents, I'm going Almond Joy. Obviously, the Mounds bars, not Jewish people buying these things. Why would I spend a dime for a candy bar that doesn't have an almond when I can spend the same dime for the ones that have the almond? So I'm sure you can understand why, you know, why I would go for the Almond Joy. But anyway, that aside, that's Narshkite. All right, that aside... The other door, the recovery door, the price to pay is the leveling of self, the leveling of ego. Now, the, the, the price to pay is high, but the life is wonderful. And I can walk out of the house and I can get in and out of my car and I can go to a movie and fit in the seats. And I can ask a girl out and maybe she'll say yes and maybe she'll say no, but at least I might have a shot. I can go to a clothing store, not Omar the tent maker, not the circus surplus store. I can go to a regular clothing. This is a stepping stone shirt that I got at stepping stones in Bedford, New York. But you get the idea. The rest of the garments on my body are from a regular, normal store. I don't have to go to big and tall. I don't have to go to where they only have these humongous sizes. I remember paying $24 for t-shirts in 1977. I remember paying 70 bucks for a belt in 1980, whatever the heck it was. So I can buy clothes from a normal store. And I don't piss on my in, in my pants anymore. And I don't crap in my pants anymore. And I don't have that horrible, horrible pain from walking or standing or sitting. And I haven't broken any furniture in decades. So let's go back to this book and let's continue with what we're doing. To the precise extent that we permit these, these what? Resentments. Do we squander the hours that might have been worthwhile? You know, I have to laugh sometimes. Just this week in our Scottsdale meeting, there was a person that asked a question because we have our meeting and then we have what's called the parking lot after the meeting. And the parking lot is just what you would imagine it to be. We're simulating a live meeting. So we have the parking lot. And what do we do in the parking lot? We talk and we ask questions and we exchange ideas with one another. It's the same Zoom information that you use today, but it's it's um, 430 uh, Pacific time until March. March, it'll change because when we change the clocks, it'll be 5.30 Pacific time, 4.30 Pacific time, and so on. And it's 4.30, 5.36, 7 7.30 Eastern time. And then in the summer, it changes up an hour. But anyway, woman says, I'm sponsoring three people, blah, blah, blah. How do I keep my program fresh? Sponsor two more people was the first answer. Now, you found the time to eat the candy. You found the time to rehearse your resentments. You found the time to spew your venom. You found the time to do all these things, but yet now it's all of a sudden an imposition to find the time to sponsor a couple of more people. The disease has a price that it extracts from you in terms of time, in terms of energy, in terms of commitment, you have to really commit yourself. Man, I had to go eat those chips ahoy every freaking day. How do you think a man like me got to be a man like me? I had to eat those Twinkies every day. I had to go out there and do this stuff every day. And it was a chore. It took time. Now, again, when we are in the food 
I don't care what you look like. You know, you look at some of the Zoom pictures of the people and you say to yourself, my God, what are they doing here? They look so normal. They look so wonderful. They look like they're, we don't know what, they didn't come here because things went well for them. They didn't come here because they were on a roll. They came here because of the torture and hell of this disease. I don't care what they look like. I don't care what's going on with them. I don't care whether they live on Park Avenue or under a park bench. I don't care if they come from Yale or jail. We all have hell that brought us to the door of Overeaters Anonymous. So let's continue. But with the alcoholic whose hope is the maintenance and growth of a spiritual experience, this business of resentment is infinitely grave. We found that it is fatal. Now, one of the things that I deal with on a weekly basis, you can bet your bippy that once a week, I'm going to get this call. How can I believe in God if there was a Holocaust or... How can I believe in God if there was slavery? Or how can I believe in God when the Democrats, the Republicans of this? And that's all, you know, I get that. I totally do. But let's take a look at something. Once you were conceived or once whatever it is you believe in, once you were born, whatever it is, you have a life and it's a finite life. None of us are going to live to be two, three, four hundred years old. We have a life and it is what it is. And every time you take a breath, you're closer and closer to the end. And the question of recovery is not, well, I'll still die. So what's the use? Not the, not the issue. The issue is the dash. The dash. When you go to God and you're buried in a cemetery, if you have a headstone, it's going to say, Joe Blow, 1954 to 2027, whatever it's going to say. What did you do in the dash? What did you do with the time that you had here? Did you make a difference? Did you bring somebody closer to a recovery or did you huddle in the house? Did you allow Hitler to kill one more Jew? Did you allow slave traders to kill one more African-American? Did you throw yourself on the food because of an injustice that you couldn't control, you didn't cause, and you had nothing to do with? There's a lot of things about this world that I wish were different. Are you ready to die for them? Is that the hill that you want to die on? Is it? I mean, if it is, go for it. I, if I thought, honestly, that me eating Gino's East Pizza or me eating Carl's Red Hots, of course, that'd be a big schlep because I'm from the other side of the city. But if I was willing to go down to 83rd Street in Stony Island or wherever it is, I if I thought that I could, if I ate one more Red Hot from Carl's Red Hots, that it would bring back one of the six million, I would be on my way there right now. Hand to God, I would be. But what is you dying going to prove or accomplish? Isn't it better to give the finger to the people that oppressed people like you and recover and live and thrive and help others and get close to God than give it your resignation and say, okay, this happened. I'll jump in my grave too, well before my time, accomplishing very little, very, very little. The saddest words of tongue or pen are these few words, it might have been. What could you have done with the one life you had? What could you have done with the time that you spent in the food? What could you have accomplished? 
where could you have taken your life and how many people could you have helped had you not been in the food? Let's continue. We, for when harboring such feelings, we shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit. Harboring what feelings? Resentments. The sunlight of the spirit. Spirit is capitalized. I want to live in the sunlight of the spirit. I want to live in God's will, not my will. Sometimes I have to just leave retribution to God Almighty. Sometimes I have to believe in my soul that whatever happened to my grandparents on my father's side, my aunts, my uncles, and my cousins, whatever happened to my nieces and nephews, whatever happened there so long ago is a horrible thing. But let's take a look at something. I can't control it. I didn't cause it. And I can't cure it. There's nothing, my death, nothing about my eating is going to make that go away. Yes, I can eat and I can die because of it, or I can live in spite of it. I'm going to say that again. I can die because of it or live in spite of it. And the choice is mine. Grab that recovery. Let the resentment go. It's killing you. Is this the hill you want to die on? Okay. The insanity of alcohol returns and we drink again. Why do we drink again? Because we, when we're in resentments, do not feel good. We don't feel very good. We feel sick. We are emotionally sick from these resentments. And because we're emotionally sick, the solution to that becomes Twinkies. The solution to that becomes candy, cookies, cake, hot dogs, fries, whatever it is for you. Whatever that might be for you, that becomes that solution. Remember that food was never the problem. Food was the solution to the problem. And if food is the solution to your problem, then the problem is the buildup of human emotions. The problem is the lack of power that you have over your environment, over the world that you were born into. So more than willpower, more than anything you are going to be able to muster of your finite self, this demand for the food is going to overwhelm you. How do I know that? It has been overwhelming you from the time you were a child or you wouldn't be here. The urge to purge yourself of the food is the bulimics way of dealing with it. They eat massive quantities of food and they purge it out. The anorexic gets that effect from starving themselves. But no matter what side of the coin you are on, I am not from the bulimic or anorexic side of the coin. But many of you are. It doesn't matter. If food is your problem, you are suffering from a food problem of, of, of eating too much, compulsive eating. You need to stop that. But if you are a compulsive overeater, and they sound very similar, but they're worlds apart, that means you have an allergy of the body and a twist of your mind, which will necessitate a spiritual solution. And without that spiritual solution, you will not recover. And without letting go of these resentments, you will not have that spiritual awakening. I'm going to say that again, because that's a warning. If you are a compulsive overeater, which sounds similar to compulsive eating, but they are worlds apart. You are going to have to have a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps to achieve neutrality around food without a purging of these resentments. I hate to use that word, without a 
an exorcism almost of these resentments, you're not going to have a spiritual awakening and you will eat and you will die far before your time. And whether you die before your time or not is subjective. I don't know when your time is and I don't profess to be God. But what about that dash in the middle? What do you think you're going to accomplish while you're on earth when you're in the food? You've been in the food or you wouldn't be here. How was life treating you at that moment? <clears throat> were you productive while you were in the food? Maybe you did your job. Some of you are lawyers. Some of you are CPAs. Some of you are doctors. Some of you are housewives. Some of you are secretaries, salespeople, librarians, whatever the heck you are, psychologists, whatever the heck you are. You think you'd be better at what you're doing when you're in the damn food? You're not going to be as effective because constantly running through your mind is, I need the food, I need the food, where's the food, I need the food, I need the food. So let's continue on and the insanity of alcohol returns and we drink again and with us to drink is to die. You don't have to be in your grave to be dead. You could be walking around and you're dead. When, you're in, when I'm in the food, I am the walking dead. I am not functioning. All I'm doing at that moment is I cannot hear what the hell you're saying to me. I don't care whether you live or die. All I'm listening to is the nattering in my head. This incessant chatter, this perseverance about food, 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 food. I'm not effective. I cannot be effective at that point. So this is walking death when you're in the food. And how do I get to the food? With these resentments and fears, because the buildup of these emotions is going to demand a solution. And for people like me and ostensibly like people like you, food is that easy solution. Let's continue. If we were to live, we had to be free of anger. There's the understatement of the year. Do I ever get pissed off? Yes. Do I ever get scared? Yes. Do I, am I ever uncertain about things? Yes. But to, to live in this resentment, which is what we're talking about, is a life unlived. It's a life unlived. Let's continue. If we were to live, we had to be free of anger. The grouch and the brainstorm were not for us. Now, through the magic of a 1935 dictionary, the grouch, like Oscar the grouch, is we're, mar we're married, we're married, we're pissed off all the time. The guy or the gal that's just, they're pissed off all the time. I'm not gonna say I'm talking about my ex-wife, but you can draw your own conclusions. This woman was pissed off all the time. She woke up, pissed off. She went to bed, pissed off. There was somebody, something was pissing this woman off all the time. It, I, you know, it took me years to get there, but it had to be hell in her head. It had to be hell in her head. Forget about what it did to me. That's what I saw, you know, the first years. But it had to be hell in our head because when we're angry all the time, the only solution we know is to eat because that's painful. We don't want to be like that. And we eat in search of relief from that pain that we feel. Very important. Now, the brainstorm is a word that is used to completely differently than it was then. And that at this time now, a brainstorm is, wow, I was brainstorming. I think if we did this, this, and this, then men could fly to the moon in an Oldsmobile or a, or, you know, or a Chevrolet. If we just do this, we could just shoop, go right to the moon. That's a brainstorm. The brainstorm then was the tempestuous rage that was felt infrequently. We weren't always mad, but when we got mad, Boy, did we get mad. Yeah, we. So this is that brainstorm. And I have people in my life, as you do too, that 
you see this illustrated. They're just pissed off all the time. Or when they get pissed off, holy mackerel, I don't want to be anywhere near them. God, I'm 68 years old. I don't have the time or the keach. Keach is a Yiddish word for energy. I don't have the keach to be around this kind of anger all the time. I just cannot take it. It's too much. So the And the person that suffers from this, the person that is the grouch, the person that is the brainstorm, they can't be around it either, but they often don't know any other way. And to them, the eating makes sense to the compulsive overeater. The anger makes sense to them. It just flashes through their mind like lightning across the sky. And it just makes perfect sense. You're stupid. You're an idiot. They're smart. So they're pissed off. It just goes through their mind mind so quickly that they can't even identify it. It just, it's an instant reaction. It's just instant. Okay, let's continue. They may be the dubious luxury of normal men, but for the alcoholic, these things are poison. Why are they poison? We just talked about it. And when the big book wants to teach us something, it doesn't teach it to us once. It spirals the information. And what it does is the purest form of teaching is repetition, right? Flashcards. The purest form of education is repetition. So it, the book is telling you the same things that we talked about when we first started this session, that this anger may be the dubious luxury of normal men, but for the alcoholic, these things are poison. If you eat compulsively, food is your problem. Food is your solution. Then you cut off the food, you go on a diet, problem solved. If you are a compulsive overeater, which sounds very similar, they're universes apart. Universes apart then you are going to need a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps. And you will not have a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps while you are in such tempestuous anger. So in other words, this anger is blocking you from what you say you most want. And yet how difficult is it for most of us to give up these resentments because ego gets in the way and we say to ourselves, yeah, but we're right and they're wrong. No, we don't want to be dead. And in the food is a walking death. It is a life unlived. Let's move on. We Now, page 66, we're at the bottom of 66. We turned back to the list where it held the key to the future. What list? The first three columns of the fourth step that we made where the example was on page 65. We did our resentments and then we put the first three columns in. We're getting ready. We'll probably tackle that next week. We're getting ready to tackle the fourth column of this fourth step in the resentment section. So you're not going to want to miss next week. We turned back to the list for it held the key to the future. We were prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle. We began to see that the world and its people really dominated us. Let's stop right there. You know, I don't know about you, but even though there was no evidence to support this, none whatsoever, my life was in shambles. I believe that I sort of had a handle on stuff and I did not. My life to the to even the casual observer did not work. There are areas of my life today that work. There are areas of my life that need improvement. I I totally understand that. I really do and I'm doing the best I can. But what we have to look at here is that the people and the world around me dominated me and I looked for control or I looked for something in food. Some of us look for it in relationships, sex. We look for it in gambling or drugs. We look for it in liquor. We look for it in, in whatever it is we look for it in. But we're looking for something. 
and we keep searching and searching and searching and searching. And if we're very, very lucky, we end up in a place like OA in a, or a place like AA or SLAA or SAA or wherever it is we go, Gamblers Anonymous, you know, Al-Anon, whatever it is you go to, and there is a solution. But we have to look in all the wrong places before we're willing to look in the right place. Isn't that sad about us? We look for these things in all the wrong places before we are at all willing to look for these solutions in the right places. Why is that? I don't know. I wish I had some sort of explanation for it. But what I know is that OA is the last house on the block when the liquor is given up and the drugs are given up and the relationships are given up and the whatever is the gambling or the whatever is given up, then the food starts to creep in in a lot of cases and we become the last house on the block. Let's continue. But the world really did dominate me. Yeah, and and it, if I'm not careful, it will continue to dominate me. In that state, the wrongdoings of others, fancied or real, had power to actually kill. Wow. So whether the person was right or whether the person was wrong, whether I imagined it, whether it was real, that resentment had the power to kill. How does it kill? It kills by amputating me from any chance of a recovery. And then the food moves in and does the assassination work of the disease. Food is only the, the, the vehicle that the disease uses to kill me. The real disease is the spiritual sickness. The real disease is when I'm harboring these feelings of resentment and I can't get out of my own way. And it becomes a life of efforts. You know, effort, you know, wave your hand and pick up that food because what the hell, who cares? right? I just want to die. And that's what I ran around saying. No, I really didn't want to die, even though I, it, it was apparent to me that I did want to die because I was dying. What I really wanted to do was live, but I didn't know how. No one told me how until I got here. And even when you told me how, I figured because of my ego, well, I'm too fat. I'm too stupid. I'm too this. I'm too that. I can't do what you guys are doing. Yes, I can but I wasn't willing to try for a very long time. And I lived in that life unlived for, a, for much longer than I care to admit or even think back on. Life is a beautiful thing. Life is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And it gets better and better as my recovery gets better and better. But there's pain and there's a price to pay. And the price is high, but the rewards are even higher. Let's continue. How can we escape? We saw that these resentments must be mastered, but how we could not wish them, we could not wish them away any more than alcohol. I cannot control my anger. I cannot control my fear or my whatever. I can't control my emotional nature. Lack of power, that was my dilemma. I need God's help. But the book is teaching me that this is the starting point. This is the first action step. And because I've concluded that I am a compulsive overeater, because I've concluded and I've come to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity, now I am willing to embark on a series of actions that God will guide and I will be recovered as I am today. Do I have work to do? Gosh, you betcha. Gosh, you bet I've got work to do. But one of the things I'm not going to do today, hopefully, I don't know, is eat Twinkies or eat, you know, Charleston Chew or, or, or whatever it is I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to Burger King today, hopefully, or McDonald's or whatever. I'm not going there. I don't look for solutions in 
drive-through windows. Solutions to my problem don't come in a bag that some 19-year-old passes to me through a drive-through window. I've looked there already. It's not there. This was our course. We realized that the people who wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick, top of 67. Though we did not like their symptoms, they and the way they, sorry, though we did not like their symptoms and the way these disturbed us, they like ourselves were sick too. So we looked at these people and we didn't, we never said to ourselves, they're sick too. We looked at them and said, they suck. They're jerks. They're this, they're that. So we were at war with them in our minds. We were at war with ourselves. We were eating poison, hoping they would drop dead. We were eating poison, hoping that they would drop dead because God knows I'm right. I'm innocent. I'm pure as the driven snow. They're evil. They're horrible. And I learned that that's no way to live for me if I want to be free of the food. So it says here, they were sick too. Then it says, we asked God to help us show them the same tolerance, pity, and patience that we would cheerfully grant a sick friend. Robin Williams, at the end of his life, he said, be nice to everybody you come in contact with today. They're all going through their own hell. You know, I look at people and I judge their outsides by my insecure, wounded insides. I'm wounded inside. I have been tragically rejected by a world that I was born into. Tragically told, categorized, marginalized, that because you're fat, these are the things you can't do. And it was pounded into my head. And all I wanted to do was be like you. I wanted to look like you and I wanted to be like you and I wanted to go the places that you went and I wanted to feel the things that you felt and experience the things that you experienced and I couldn't do it. So for me, life was not worth living until I got here. I have been systematically rejected, marginalized by the world that I was born into. Not anymore. I still struggle. I pay the price for the, the life unlived. I pay it every day of my life. And so will you. But I can live today and I can breathe air that is the air of freedom. So let's do this, this sick man's prayer and then we'll be done for the day. When a person offended, we said to ourselves, this is a sick man. How can I be helpful to him? God save me from being angry. Thy will be done. Is that so hard to say? Is that so difficult? That's the sick man's prayer. This is a sick man. How can I be helpful to him? God save me from being angry. Thy will be done. Now, next week, we're going to talk about the fourth column. We're going to talk about uncover, discover, and discard. What were the things that I discovered about myself when I did my fourth step? What were the patterns that I saw in me that really illuminated who I was? I thought I knew who I was, but it is through this inventory process that I realized how much fear really dominated me. We're going to talk about this again next week. I realized how much resentment dominated me, but here's the most striking thing that I realized for me, and we're going to talk a lot about this next week. I was driven primarily, not only by fear, but by insecurity, innate organic insecurity, which forced me into a position where I thought I had to lie when the truth would have been better. I, if you were a Democrat, I want to be a Democrat. If you're a Republican, I'm a Republican. If you like blue, I'm going to like blue. If you, whatever it is, you get the picture. 
I want to be who you want me to be so you'll like me and you won't reject me. I want to try to manipulate you with false narratives so that you will think I am somebody that I indeed am not, or maybe not, but the bottom line is I really desperately wanted you to like me. I desperately wanted to keep you in my life as a hostage rather than as a friend. I didn't realize how much that had driven me. We're going to talk a lot more about that next week. But for right now, before I turn it back over to whomever, and I can't remember whether it's Sue or whether it's Nancy or whether it's whoever, I want to just remind you, if you asked a question last week, and we're going to, next week we're going to pick up page 67. I'm going to just jot this down. Page 67. And we're going to start with, we avoid retaliation or argument. That's where we're going to start. If you asked a question last week, please step back and let people who did not ask a question come forward.